Welcome to the Loft Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message and that it ignites in you a hunger for more of God's presence in your life. Okay, so first thing I got to do is I got to out these two people because these are two of the most artistic people I know. So what they didn't tell you is they work for Bloom, get that, Bloom, Crawl Space and Pest Control. Okay, they, they didn't add that little part in there, so I thought I would. So, yeah, there you go. Anyway, so, um, and, and Cindy, what she prophesied, you know, for the first time probably doing a sermon, I did exactly what she said. You know, I just sat down with God, gave me an idea, and he gave me the words tonight. And so we're going to have a little fun. Is that okay? All right. You know me, I got to have fun. So I, I uh, got an email. When Cindy was over. We meet every week or so. We're getting stuff done. And we're creating, and I got an email from Luann's uncle from Canada, and I, th- I had to share this tonight. So are you ready? I'm going to read it, okay? A reminder that there is one word in the English language that can be a noun, verb, adjective, adverb, preposition. The word is up. That this two-letter word in English has more meanings than any two-letter word and that word up, is, it's listed in the dictionary as an adverb, preposition, adjective, noun, and verb. It's easy to understand up meaning the sky or at the top of a list, but when we awaken in the morning, why do we wake up? At a meeting, what does the to- what, why does a topic come up? Why do we speak up? And why are officers up for election? Why is it up to the secretary to write up a report? We call up our friends, brighten up a room, polish up the silver, warm up the leftovers, clean up the kitchen, we lock up the house, fix up the old car. People can stir up trouble, Luann, line up ticket, line up for tickets, and that would be they would line up in front of uh, Annette, work up an appetite, think up excuses, be dressed in one thing, but be dressed up is special. This up is confusing, and a drain must be opened up because it's stopped up. We open up a store in the morning, and we close it up at night. We seem pretty mixed up about up. To be knowledgeable about the the proper use of up, look up the word up in the dictionary. A desk-sized dictionary can take up a fourth of a page and can have up to 30 definitions. If you are up for it, you might try building up a list of many ways up is used. It will take up a lot of your time, but if you don't give up, you may wind up with a hundred or more items on your list. When it threatens to rain, we say clouding up. When when the sun comes out, we say it is clearing up. When it rains, like here in Oregon, the earth soaks it up. When it does not rain for a while, things dry up. One could go on and on, but I'll wrap this up. My time is up. Oh, one more thing. This, and I had to have this explained to me. So what is, what is the first thing you do in the morning and the last thing you do at night? You pee. You pee. Okay, so all the old folks got it. I did not. Did that one crack you up? Don't screw up. Send this to everyone. You look up in your address book or not. It's up to you. Amen. That's for you, Willie. 
<laughs> Willie, Willie gives me jokes all the time, so I had to have one for him. So, there you go. So, are we all up for this? Okay, just want to make sure. Wanted to have that enclosed. So, I am I'm here this, tonight just to talk a little bit about what God's doing in our lives and what he should be doing in our lives. Amen? By the way, I want to give kudos to our young adults who preached two weeks ago. Awesome job. Memphis and Jeff, I see you here. And in Chris, who's the leader of the young adults, awesome job that night. Thank you for blessing us so much. Amen. Give them a clap up. That's good. Awesome. So you, you might look at me and say, okay, Steve, why, are you, why do you think you should be considered to be okay to be up here? And what's your doctrine? What's your theology? Now, I read the up thing because we as people, we confuse things a lot. We like to make things complicated, as you could see by what I read. But I, I, my philosophy in doing things is the KISS philosophy. I say this to myself all the time. Keep it simple, stupid. And it works for me. Why? Well, because if we don't keep it simple, we lose the meaning of what God's trying to do. Amen? And so my theology and my doctrine, how I became a pastor and what I did, I, I did not go to a Bible school for any of you who want to ask did not study at Multnomah School of the Bible, didn't go to all those things. And I'm sorry if that really offends you, but didn't do it. You might say, where did I learn to preach? I learned to preach on the streets of Portland. We took a bullhorn out, and we would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not the one that you, the fire and brimstone one, but we would preach about the love of God and how Christ changed our lives. And the reason why my pastor shared a secret, he said, the reason why I had you guys preaching out there was so that you could learn how to preach. But something happened while we were out there. All of a sudden, people started coming up, wanting to get saved, wanted to come to church. We were bringing them by the, the truckloads, amen? The, the, the best one that I had that came to know God based on us being in the street was this, um, he what you, a bodybuilder, would that be? Yeah, really strong guy. And so he, we, we witnessed to him in the streets. And then when we had church that night, I'm the head usher of the church. I'm out checking the cars in the parking lot. Here he comes. And he says, I thought I'd just stop by the parking lot. I'm not going in because I don't want any of your crap. I said, okay. Well, I'm sitting here. He says, but I do have a proposition for you. Now, this is a big, you know, muscular guy. And, and he says, I'll arm wrestle you, and if you can beat me in arm wrestling, I'll go in and listen to the service. Okay, you're on. So we arm wrestle. And I'm sitting there, you know, and I got my arm, and his arm's about twice as big as mine, and I just started speaking in tongues. Shut up, and all of a sudden his face just, what? And then, wham, boom, it's over. Okay, you're going to service? We're good. It's the only time that we've ever heard in our church that somebody arm wrestled got saved because he came and got saved, got to know Jesus Christ, and there you go. That's my theology. Whatever it takes to get him in the church, to hear God, to hear Jesus, we'll do it. Amen? I mean, we, when preaching in the streets, we had a bullhorn. I preached with tomatoes, potatoes, water thrown at me. I've had a, a bullhorn that's just, you know, you'd be talking, you'd be like, because the water's hitting the, the bullhorn, nobody can understand you. But we were on 
Foster and 92nd were, I, I can't even remember the name of the, the tavern now, but there's tavern on, on, on the corner there. I think it was the Copper Penny 2 Tavern. So we're sitting across the corner from it, we're preaching, and the guy in the building that we're preaching in front of him, he's, he's all mad. So he comes down, takes a water hose, starts spraying us, gets us all wet as we're preaching to the bullhorn. In the meantime, while he's doing that, about 100 people come out from the Copper Penny 2 and start listening to us. And we're just preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, not the prior brimstone again. We're preaching the love of God. And this guy is spraying us water. He finally just throws dirt on us and, and, and leaves. And we got a standing ovation from the crowd over at Copper Penny 2. Most of them were drunk. But they heard the gospel. Amen? That, you know, we started to learn something right then. We started to learn something that, you know, this, this preaching about Jesus thing was pretty cool. And you might say, well, how was it cool? Well, because we carried something. We, we, we carried something. We had a testimony about what Christ did in our lives, and that's what we carried to people. You see, the word of God that we go by, and I'm going to read scripture here in a second, is tremendous. But if all you can do is talk about it and you don't live it, there's a problem. Amen? Jesus, let's, let's go to what Jesus did. Amen? Let's go, turn to your Bibles in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Now, would you be, since Jesus was the word and is the word, would you think he knows scripture? Okay, we, we understand that, right? So I'm going to start in verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him, immediately sent him on his way and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your, for your cleansing what Moses commanded and a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim freely and to spread the news around to such a extent Jesus could no longer publicly enter the city, but stayed out in unpopular areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Now, have you ever noticed something that's said in that scripture? Move with compassion, Jesus stretched out, and this is verse 41, stretched out his hand and touched him before he healed him. Why? Wasn't that against the rules? Wasn't that against the word of the time? Wasn't that against the law? In actuality, what that meant was Jesus could now no longer enter the temple. He couldn't do anything an unclean person could do. He had to go get, I think it was cleansed. I was watching this on The Chosen the other day. They came up to him, now you have to go dunk yourself in the water and cleanse yourself and purify yourself because you touched an unclean person. He became just like the man that he healed. Amen? Now, in that scripture, you might say, why did he do that? So then we move on to, well, let's let, before we move on to that, let's go on to another scripture. Let's turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 43. And, we're and I saw this, I'm watching, I, I get done with life group last night, and we turn on The Chosen. 
So the one that came on was a woman that was, had a, uh, the issue of blood for 12 years. And in her mind, she keeps saying, if I just touch his hem of his garment. Are you getting the theme here? It's not about what you say. It's about touching somebody's life. She knew in her faith, listen, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be, I'll be healed. 12 years of an issue with blood. 12 years. By the way, leprosy, let's, let's define that for a second. Do you realize that when this man had leprosy, he was no longer able to, to be with his family. He was no longer able to touch them. He was no longer able to even be in the same room with them. He had to go live in a colony. He had to wear a bell around his neck that when he came into the community, it would ring and people would yell, unclean, unclean, and they would steer away from him. Did, does anybody understand all that? That means, guess what? You don't get to touch nobody. You have a newborn baby, guess what? You don't get to hold them. You don't get to hold your kids. You don't get to hold your wife. Nothing. And, and that's the way they treated somebody with leprosy. Amen. Now, I want to follow my notes. I told Jeff, you know, here's how I do my notes, and now I got to make sure I look at all this stuff so I don't mess it up. Amen. So then we have the scripture where the, where the woman has an issue of blood who was also considered unclean. Also considered, you know, I was watching The Chosen. A man would see her if she had blood on her. He would start yelling unclean in the movie. I saw that. And so everybody starts steering away from her. She's so embarrassed. She's She's been, she spent all her money on doctors that could not heal her. She kept saying that. And they said, well, we want to take you to Jesus. And they says, I can't go to another doctor. Does nothing. But then all of a sudden she recognized who Jesus Christ was. And when she recognized him, then all of a sudden it got into her heart. I just need to touch his garment, just the hem of his garment. And there, that would make me heal. We as, we as Christians, we get this so tied up and ridiculous that we got to do this and we got to do that and we got to speak this way and we got to speak so calmly and cool and we got to say the right words and we got to do it all right. And, you know, we, and, and, and I want to make sure I say this in the, in the right pretense. We have to do, we have to read the right words to the people so they can get saved. No, they, they're not looking for your words. They're looking for your life. They want to know who you are and who you carry. And Jesus knew who he was. So let's move on down. We, we know about the woman with issue of blood. She touched Jesus. All of a sudden, in the big crowd, she touches him, and all of a sudden, he turns around and said, who touched me? And all his disciples say, well, everybody's touching you. No, he said, no, no, something, something happened. And he finally finds the lady who touched him. She says, because of your faith, you are healed. That's what I would challenge you on today. Where's your faith tonight? Is it in what you think you can say as, as Cindy, that, that what you said tonight really, really maximized? Because said, she said, God will give you the words. And here's what I want to add to that. He doesn't have to give you the words, Christian. It's already in you. You don't have to worry about God may bring it to your attention, but it's no longer about 
God may sit, you know, if you sit with God, like Cindy said, let's just sit with him. He's just going to remind you what's in you already. He's going to remind you of, the, of what he has placed in you. Let's take a look at it. Let's go on from there. And, and leprosy, I've described that. And I said, so we, we need to ask the question, why did Jesus touch the leper before he healed him? Well, the purpose of Jesus is in Luke chapter four, verse 18 and 19. He said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to set free those who are oppressed and proclaim a favorable year. Captivity, what does that mean to you? Most people think, it's, you know, we're gonna, when he said that, I'm gonna release the captives. It's setting the inmates free, all those people who are oppressed. But in reality, what Jesus is also saying is those people who are tormented by their mind, he wants to set them free. And, and then that's the case with the man with leprosy. Can you imagine a man all of a sudden being healed of leprosy and he's been living a life where he doesn't touch, he doesn't do any of that stuff, and all of a sudden he has that freedom to do it? How do you think he's going to respond? He's gonna, it's going to weird him out. And so Jesus is saying, the first thing I need to do is touch him so he understands you're good enough the way you are right now. That's why I'm coming to this world to die on the cross is for you the way you are right now. And if I heal you and you step into that, if you're good enough right now, I have a health coach named Jake and we're, we're working on my physical healing, amen? And the thing he said to me, he says, what you see yourself becoming in the future, you're that right now. You don't have to wait for that identity. That's who you are right now. May not look it, but that's who you are. And if you live your life that way, that's what you're gonna go into, amen? So what Jesus was doing with the man from le le with leprosy, he was saying, listen, who you are right now, you're all right. And when you step into healing, then that will carry forward and you're still gonna be all right. You're gonna know how to handle that. But the, the biggest thing is we want to take what Jesus, his purpose, converted over to our purpose. Amen? So what is our purpose? Let's go to some scripture and ask that. Our, one of our purposes is to change the atmosphere. John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper and he may be with you forever, that the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides in you and will be in you. You carry the atmosphere changer. You carry the Holy Spirit. How many understand that? So you want words? Sit down with God and listen to the Holy Spirit. Watch what he says to you. Amen? Now, I got a, I got a little thing I'm gonna read because we get caught up a lot in... I don't, anybody know Ivor Powell in here? No, he's an old guy from, from Britain. So do you mind if I read a thing from him? He's a guy, they call him the Minister of Wales. 
And he says this. Let me turn it sideways so I can read it better. Here we go. Spread my thing. It says, A monkey house in Bellevue Gardens in Manchester was a place of sleepy innocence. The afternoon was hot and sultry, and even the visitors seemed tired and dreary. Then a young lady opened her handbag, took out a small mirror, and pushed it into the cage of the monkeys. An old monkey inclined his head to look, look at the shining object and within a few seconds came swinging down to the floor. The girl and I watched as he lifted the glass and we smiled at his comical expression when he saw the other monkey returning his stare. Immediately he began to chatter excitingly and people ran from all directions to seek the cause of the disturbance. Soon we were part of a great crowd watching an irate monkey as he turned sultry scene into one of the most, fa most fascinating entertainment. Gazing intently at his own reflection, the monkey became increasingly incensed by the fact the other animals seemed per to persistent mimic him. As his anger mounted, it became obvious that he was determined to punish the enemy in the mirror. Holding the glass in his left hand, he suddenly lashed out with his right hand, only to find that his clutching fingers merely grasped the thin air behind the mirror. He appeared to be nonplussed. I don't know, understand that English word. The other monkey had vanished, yet all the while his cheeky face still there. Again and again, the indignant animal tried to catch the elusive quarry, but each tent failed. We laughed when he slowly turned the mirror so that he could see both in it, to it, and behind it at the same moment. He was obviously puzzled when he discovered that his tormentor was only in the glass. He then proceeded to investigate and proceeded to tear the coverings off the mirror and the wrappings, which he ruthlessly removed. He, with a meticulous care, he completed the task and stared again into the glass. When he saw the other monkey, he became infuriated, scrambling to the top of the cage and he growled angrily and fling the annoying glass to the floor, smashing it to pieces. We were sorry the show, the show had, had terminated, but it had been a grand, sorry, I gotta hit done, and this is, this is, this is all, the, all the good stuff, so hang on just a second. This is my phone in action. Sorry. It'll take just a second. There we go. It came in two pages. So sorry about that. Then you got to expand it. There we go. Of course, it never works the way it is. So they, they, got, they were kind of sad because of the entertainment was over. The object of its desire was always before the monkey, yet all the time just out of reach. The monkey's failure reminds us of our own efforts. Sometimes happiness appears to be beyond our reach. We see it before our eyes, yet each time we try to capture it, the treasure vanishes. We grow increasingly desperate and desire to grasp the elusive thing. We pull things to bits, explore every channel, become irritated by our sense of frustration and failure, and all the while a mocking face seems to laugh at our feeble endeavors. We grow restless and angry. We are determined to succeed and yet continue to fail. We are driven to desperate expedience and are prepared to smash and ruin everything. Peace of mind seems to be the most elusive element in the world, and many give up in despair. 
preferably to die than to live in misery. Poor man, so easily thwarted, so quickly upset, so frequently disconsolate and defeated. If he paused a while, he would discover that the horrible specters which torture him have no foundation in fact. What seems to threaten does not really exist at all. The face of the mirror of life is but a reflection of something intensely personal. Life indeed is indeed a mirror. Smile into it, and a smile will come back. Scowl at it, and a hideous countenance will arise and mock you. Guard it carefully as a priceless treasure, and it will provide endless enjoyment. Treat it roughly, smash it, and its broken fragments will cut you and hurt the very hand which does the damage. God has given us a mirror. Our happiness may depend on it, on how we use it. He's saying that because we, we look at ourselves in a mirror and we don't like the person we see. How many of us, how many of us, because one of the scriptures that Chris talked about was love your God. I believe you said this one in your sermon. I know you say it to me all the time. Love your God with all thy heart and then love somebody else, love other people as, I'm blowing this one, as yourself. So how can you love other people as you love yourself if you don't love yourself? If you're fresher and angry with life, if, if everything in life is just causing you problems and you look in the mirror and you don't recognize what God sees, what God has placed there, because all of us in here are Christians, correct? Raise your hands, yep. So that means you have the Holy Spirit. Is my theology wrong or right, Mike? Okay, so we all have the Holy Spirit. So that means what's inside of you and what you are, and if you don't like it, there's something wrong because you're not recognizing what God recognizes. So I read that because, because that has always touched my heart of when you look at yourself and, and, and understand your purpose for what God's doing in your life, we, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing we have to do is we have to know our identity. Our identity comes from God. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For him dwelleth all fullness of the Godhead boldly, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now I'm going to tell you, the, prans- the Passion Translated says a, a little bit more easier to understand. And it says it this way, For he is complete fullness of deity living in human form. And our own completeness is now found in him. We are completely filled with God and Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. So he's, he's, he's it. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 11. 1, he says, be imitators of me just as I also am imitators of Christ. So, so okay if I tell another story? All right, so I had the opportunity to fly down to Bakersfield, California, because that's where Jack was stuck. This is about two weeks ago. Now, we have to understand that Bakersfield and I do not get along. I do not like that place. And you might say, why, Steve? Well, because when my kids were growing up, I got, so just to let you know my history, I've been divorced once, whittled once, and now I'm still married. So just to kind of give you the whole shebang there, Anyway, so after my divorce, 
of course, my kids are living with their mom, and I get visitation every other week. Well, then she ended up getting remarried to a guy who somehow got sick from being in the hold of a ship over here in the docks, had to go to dry climate. He was from Bakersfield, so he went to Bakersfield. And so anytime I, could, I had to go visit my boys, I had to go to Bakersfield. That is the dirtiest, ugliest town I have ever been in. And, and plus, I had to go there just to be able to see my boys, so that put something in my So here I am, Jack's in Bakersfield, he's, you know, and I'm thinking, you know what, he needs a friend, so I'm going to fly down to L.A. and have him pick me up and go to Bakersfield. Did I want to go to Bakersfield? No. There was no reason to go to Bakersfield in my, in my mind except for Jack, okay? So I get down there, and he picks me up from the airport. He's doing okay. You know, he had, he had the, the... So let's give a history of what, what happened to his Harvey is the RV. We need to know the, what Harvey did. Harvey made it to Missouri. Hallelujah. They're driving back, so he decides to take the southern route. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, he had to get around the storm, so he goes through New Mexico, or Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, gets to Arizona, and all of a sudden, transmission goes out in Kingsman, Arizona. So he pulls into a shop. Nobody wants to work on this RV. It's so old. Okay, we, we need it. We need this 1988 RV. Okay, now you might say, what the heck is he doing driving a 1988 RV to Missouri and back? Well, he did, he did his due diligence. He got it checked out. Luann's, Luann's reassuring. Oh, he checked it out. It's like, okay, so he gets, he gets the transmission fixed, but at that time, it's not wanting to start, but the transmission's fixed, so it's running. He can get it places. So then he goes, for, and I think he was there long enough that he took some side trips. Uh, I think Shelly, uh, let me get this straight. Shelly at that time had to come back because she had to work. So they have an aunt in Phoenix who comes and gets her, takes her to the airport. She flies home. Luann and Susie go picks her up, and it's like, yeah, I'm no longer there, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, so, so they, they, they get rid of mom. They, Jack still has son-in-law, daughter, baby, granddaughter, grandson, sorry, grandson, and with the trailer. And so they start driving from Arizona. You know, they're going to go into California and come up the I-5. They get to Bakersfield, turn off the RV. It doesn't start. So now they're in dirty little, I mean, I'm giving you my description. Dirty little Bakersfield, and they're trying to find a mechanic. Nobody will work on this RV. He finally gets it to a, a smog and DEQ, because that's really big down there. You have to get your cars through DEQ quite a bit. And they agreed to look at it. So the first mechanic is named Mike. He comes in, he goes through the engine, they find out it's the distributor. Now, for those of you who don't know what a distributor is because it's so old, it's the thing that makes the spark plugs fire, okay? And if the distributor's gone, you don't have a spark to those things. Well, the distributor was all whacked up, so they get that fixed. Hey, it starts, yay. 
So then he makes about three test runs to try to go home, and every time he gets to out of town, it goes, and done. So then he calls the tow truck. Tow truck takes it back to the mechanic. They run the RV. It runs for five hours, no problem. So they can't get it to recreate the problem. So he gets in it again, gets ready to go. We're driving off, and all of a sudden, stops. So then they, they call the tow truck again, and so now they have no tow trucks. And they're going to call one from Fresno, $1,200 to tow his van, or to RV Harvey back to the shop a mile and a half. So he said, he, and he's, he's telling me the story. So, so then I said, well, I can't afford that. So I called them and told them, skip it. And, she, and then he said, God told him to call the shop. So he calls the shop, and Liz, who is the lady in the office, she says, don't worry about it. We use a tow truck. I'll call him, and I'll tell him if he doesn't give you a good rate, we won't use him anymore. So they get that tow truck, 200 bucks. So that's... That's reasonable. Tow it back to the shop. So, so, I'm, so that's the second week he's there. They're still, they're, this is the second week. And he's, you know, I, I call him every once in a while, talk to him, and he said, okay. So Friday, he's talking to me. Well, they're supposed, they found out what's wrong. It's the catalytic converter. And it's all plugged up. And so that means the air's not getting through and all this, it can't breathe, so to speak, if you're talking about engine. So they said, well, they'll have it fixed by Monday. And I said, okay. I said, what I'll do is I'll, I, I, what do you think? I'll call, fly down. I'll drive back with you Monday. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to have somebody because I'm getting really, really lonely down here. So I fly in Monday. He had decided at that time to take the rent a car, go to LA. And he went to the beaches and just relaxed a little bit, came by and brought me and, and, and picked me up at the airport, and he, we're driving over, and I said, he's starting to tell me about the beaches. I said, you go to Muscle Beach? And, and he said, no. I said, good thing. And, you know, this is, there's our conversation. I'm just trying to, you know, have him laugh a little bit. So, so we drive from there to Bakersfield. It was a couple hours. Get to the shop, and they're looking at us like, okay, we got a problem. What's the problem now? Well, the, the, Kelly converter, first of all, they ordered the part, didn't have a flange gasket. They found that part in town. They get that. Now they don't have the, a, a tube that goes from the Kelly converter to something else. I don't know what all that stuff is. So they're, they're planning. So they decided, okay, we'll see if we can use the old tube off the old one. However, that had been clamped so hard to the Kelly converter, and it had gotten so hot because it was plugged, that it actually melted onto the old catalytic converter. So they had to take a cutting torch, cut it off, and then they had to call in another guy to, to weld this on. Well, they called him in because we found out Mike, the original mechanic, had uh, been at home and a dog started nipping at his, at his foot. So he went to kick it and the dog caught his foot and, and, and drew blood. So now he's out, of, he can't be in the office to fix the RV. So they had to call another guy in. So he did all the welding and stuff. They started up, 
we're all going, all right, it's ready to go. And so we, we start listening to the engine, and it's going, oh, we can't let you go like that because that's not running right. And so we're going, okay. So then they tell us, okay, so they're going to have another mechanic, a third mechanic come in because the mechanic who welded everything didn't know anything about engines. And Mike still couldn't come in because he had a foot infection. This, this, is, this is all the stuff that's going on that, you know, I don't, I don't know if you'd say it was God doing this or whatever, but the enemy definitely, you know, didn't like what Jack was doing. You know what? I, I'm not going to get into that theology, Bob. He said, is that correction? Yeah, well, we ain't talking about that. I'm not saying anything. Anyway, so, so we're sitting there, but I, the, the thing I have to tell you is during this whole thing, and by the way, we got back to the hotel. We're in the room because we had to stay one more night there. Power goes out in the whole neighborhood. So we're sitting in our hotel, no, no, no power, no nothing, just darkness. And, and, and so it's like, really? You know, and I'm saying, and, and can I give you the, the subtle advice my wife gave to me before I left? She goes, Steve, I don't think you should go down before they have that fixed and running and ready to leave. And I says, no, he needs a friend. I'll go down now. She says, well, you know you have something going on on Friday. You have to be here by Friday. And so I'm calling, talking to Jack and saying, Jack, we got to have a backup plan. If this thing doesn't get running by Wednesday, we're taking a rental car home. That's, that's just it. And so, so that's uh, Monday night. We're in a hotel, no lights, no nothing. Finally, lights come back on. And we head back down to the shop. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Let's, let's get the whole story. We're, we're, we're getting up Monday, Tuesday morning. We're, we're texting Liz at the shop. And all of a sudden, Liz says, well, we're working on it. Okay, so Jack and I, we're, we're quick thinkers. We've got to find something to do for a while, so we figure it's going to take a while. We, we're going to a movie. So we get all our stuff backed out of the room, take it downstairs, have have it in the rental car. We're heading for the movie. On our way to the movie, we get a text from Liz, your, van, your RV's ready. Hallelujah, we didn't go to the movie. So we get over to the RV place, and this is, this is I'm getting, I share that story because I want to get to a point. Jack's been there for two weeks. The whole two weeks, he's dealing with Liz. Now, I talked to Liz and asked her if I could share her story, and she said yes. So just want to let you know I have permission. She, uh, Liz has been married to her wife for 23 years. She was kicked out of the church she was in. She went to a, a Catholic church. They banned her from church. They kicked her out. Her parents are not allowed, allowed to talk to her. She's been totally banned. Now, you got to understand something. When I get to the office, I'm seeing a, a, a young lady in her 30s that's just beaming, laughing, and smiling. And every time she sees, she sees Jack, she says, who are you? Because that whole week and a half, Jack never showed anger. Jack never showed any, anything of the Christian rules and stuff like that. She had been faced for since before that. He lived because he carried Christ with him. And he showed her Christ and how Christ would love. 
And you might say, how do you know? Because I saw the evidence. Now, I, I, my second wife was Hispanic. Hispanics, all they do is hug. And she knew who I was because Jack had shared with her who I was when I walked in. And, and, and she came up and just hugged me. I'm a Christian. I'm the one that represented the people that had banned her from church and said, get away from us. We don't want to have anything to do with you. She came up and gave me a hug. And, and, and that's how I see the evidence of what, of what Jack was doing. He was carrying Christ. He was being Christ-like. He was touching somebody who was untouchable. He was touching somebody who was unlovable. You see, it's not about the words you say. It's about who you carry. We have the Holy Spirit in us, which represents Jesus Christ. We can change the atmosphere just with that. Just with that. You don't have to have all this knowledge. I don't even think you need to do what's right. You know what's right or wrong. I think if you carry Christ, you got it all you need. And, and, and if you look at me, that's what I try to do every day, is I try to carry Christ. You may not agree with me on everything. You may look at me in a different way, but you know what? I know who I am, because if you are going to change an atmosphere, the first thing you got to do is you got to know who you are. You got to know your identity. You got to know who you carry. If you don't, you're as lost as the people you're trying to reach, because we don't know who our God is. If we don't know who our Christ is, then we're losing the whole meaning of the gospel. Amen. And basically, you just need to get touched by Christ wherever you're at. You may look at yourself like the monkey did in the mirror and say, I see all this crap that's in my life. And you start recognizing it because that's the way you're living your life. Well, just as Jake told me, I am not the person you see before me, but I am that healthy person. I just got to live my life that way. And I, that's what I will become. Amen. So let's stand to our feet. A lot, of, a lot of people think it's complicated. It's not complicated. We're just going to pray for a touch of God. You know, the touch means, you know what? You just get Christ inside you. You be Christ-like. If you, if you want to read the scriptures, read the scriptures of how Jesus lived his life. And Paul said this, mimic me as I mimic him. So read about it. Mimic him. See what he did, how he lived his life, how he touched people's lives when it wasn't supposed to be that way. That, so when you walk into a room, there's evidence that Christ walked into the room with you. There's evidence. Why? Because lives are being changed. If you get anything from the night, it's that you, tonight your life doesn't have to be the same as it was when you walked into this place. And that's what I want to pray. Father God, right now we just come before you. We ask that every person in this place, they would feel your presence and feel your power and feel your Holy Spirit envelop them. Father God, that their lives would now 
be changed because they don't see the same old ugly thing in the mirror anymore, but they see the freshness and the glow of having Christ living in them. And they can now depend on that understanding to know that they can be Christ-like and live a life that is so full of love, so full of, of just compassion, so full of forgiveness that people's lives around them will be touched just by the mere, mere thing of walking into a room. And Father God, we just ask for that anointing. We ask for that presence to be in us at all times so that we can make a difference wherever we go. We say this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for coming. If you were inspired by today's message, be sure to hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. For more information about The Loft or for gathering times and locations, you can check out our website at www.theloftnw.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again next time.